Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. For the listeners out there, we probably won't actually include the first minute and a half of this, but we were talking about Matt's amazing Houston Astros suit that his wife got him for his 40th birthday. So for everyone out there, wish him a 40th birthday if you haven't already. Big happy birthday to Matt. This is not on video, but Matt, why don't you go ahead and describe the Astros suit that you got that you wore on game six, and I'll let you talk about the rest. Well, I mean, just think about your classic orange, mostly orange, (laughs) white with some navy accents, but in a full suit in public. And the funny thing is other people have them. And whenever I'd see them at the game or on TV, I would like tell my wife about how cool I thought they were and everything. And she's like, I just really feel like you need this, even though this costs like way more than we would normally spend on gifts. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to say no. (laughs) Um, So I've worn it to the office. I got to wear it after the Astros clinched, you know, won the pennant. Yeah. And so, you know, walking around Main Street and everything when... Like everybody's walking up, high fiving you and asking for pictures. I don't know. Like twenty year old me, kind of wish I wishes I could have been that cool for a day. You know? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I mean, it's really it's just when you can go out and dress up with something like that and have the attention and in, and the energy after winning a game like that. It's it's something you'll never forget. I mean, oh. it's amazing. Yeah. It was it was quite the experience. Yeah. So <laughs> that's so cool. So this will likely be published after the World Series, Matt, but. I mean, let's make some predictions. What's going to happen? What's your take? How many games is it going to take for us to win, obviously? So this is sort of where I go neurotic because I don't want to like, I think the Astros will win. Mm -hmm. Like if they play like they've been playing the past three games, yes, they'll do it. But I also saw them play games two and three where they were giving up multiple grand slams. And so like I'm terrified of getting too confident. Right. But if the boys do what, they know how to do, I think it could be a shorter series. And for my own mental health, that would probably be the best outcome. So, you know. For the entertainment value, though, wouldn't you want them to lose a couple to where then we can win it at home? Like, that would be the ideal. Because it's two games here, three games, if they go that far, then back here. Yes. So, for sure, yes. I think winning it at home is pretty awesome. I bought a ticket. I cannot afford any others, though. Um, <laughs> Which for game two? Go, I'm going to game one. I'm going You're tomorrow. Going, oh, nice. Um, oh, that's so, so cool. And what I love about game one of championship series is, you know, they introduce all the players. There's usually some pretty cool ceremonies at the beginning and everything. Yes. So, and I've never been to a World Series and the Astros, you know, this is their third time around. As a lifelong Astros fan, I can't. Yeah. I can't not do this. And you're going to wear um, the suit? I don't understand how that's even a question at this point. Like, <laughs> okay, um, I will probably wear it. I've worn that suit more in the past week and a half <laughs> than I have worn my regular like black double-breasted suit in a year. Right. And So the ROI is far greater. Absolutely. And then, so, I mean, the, you can go out with a sport coat. Like, There's a lot you can do with this thing. You so, can dress it up, dress it down, casual. Yeah, you I mean, know. Oh. day games, you, you look like you're ready for the office or for the ballpark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> 
Yeah. It's so versatile. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, yeah, definitely true. So your guess is four to zero. That's your kind of No, I, I think that there's, I don't think they're going to sweep them. I would love to see it done in five or six. Okay. Once again, so that I don't have to deal with a game seven. <laughs> you broke my heart in 2019, guys. Right. But it's just one of those, I mean, Braves are hot right now. You got to give it to them. Like they're doing things people don't expect. And yeah. So we hmm. shall see. Well, last thing I want to say is if we get enough likes or even downloads, then hopefully you'll be so excited that you'll wear your Astro suit and then you can take a picture and put it on LinkedIn for everyone to see it. Because that's what I think everyone wants to see is you in the suit. I mean, I will do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> noted. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about drilling fluids, Matt. This is something that we've discussed recently, not on the podcast, but just around the office. It's you know, every once in a while, things get brought up and then we think, hey, this would be a great topic for an episode. And this week, we're going to talk about fine grind barite. And it sounds obvious, Matt, but there's a lot of information that I think we should share to bring awareness to some of the just limitations, just like we do everything else. Let's talk about it. You know, it's another tool in the toolbox, but we'll get into the details. But Matt, first and foremost, what is fine grind barite? How would you define it? I think the easiest way to define fine grind barite is to look at what API barite is and then go, okay, it's less than that. So API 13A is a very general specification. I mean, this goes back quite a while, right? So, you know, originally 4.2, but 4.1 to 4.2 specific gravity. It's got a maximum on the amount of calcium that can be present. And then you have a maximum of 3% greater than 75 microns and a maximum of 30% less than 6 microns. And so there's not a specific like D10, D50, D90, but generally speaking, you're going to fall in this range where, you know, one, because there's so few particles that are above 75 microns, that's one reason that you don't, you know, that sort of limits what shaker screens you run, you know, 200s or whatever. Okay, so um, a maximum of 3% of greater than 75. So if you had, and that's so on a, like by volume basis? By weight. So, or by weight, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay um, that makes sense. So 3% has to be less than 75 microns in size. Yeah. So, and I mean, just think about it, like 75% or 97% is less than 75 microns. Right. right? So gotcha. that's sort of your limit. Then, you know, so we end up actually, and it's not specified, your D50 is about 24 microns. That's just kind of what I'm used to seeing. Different mills will do different things and still meet that spec. But for the sake of our conversation, 24 microns for about a, a D50. So when we jump down to fine grind, okay, it's going to be finer than that, obviously. There is an API committee working on actual definitions for this. Because the problem is, if you're less than that 24 microns, there's a huge sliding scale of sizes that you can go below that, right? So, you know, it's sort of broken up into three categories. So let's say, you know, something about 10 to 15 microns would be, you know, one set. And then 5 to 10 microns would be another set. And then five or less microns for the D50 would be another. And the cost can be dramatically different just mm. because really fine stuff requires special mills. It requires extra energy to grind. You know, you may actually precipitate the bayrite. So it, it may be a chemical reaction to get like fine crystals at certain sizes. You won't be able to pneumatically convey it. So it's only in big bags. Sometimes it's, you know, pre-ground with a wetting agent because it's so much surface area, like a fine solid that it needs to be, you know, effectively oil wetted. And it might even be sent out as a slurry. 
You know, there's even on, on some of the very finest, highest performance materials, they might use a 4-3 specific gravity just, you know, to pack in as much mass per unit volume as, as possible. So the definitions are a little wishy-washy right now, but those are sort of the three categories that everyone's talking about relative to commercial availability. Gotcha. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, like, where would you use this type of fine grain barrage? So, I mean, the main thing is it's kind of like sag mitigation and low rheology. So think complicated wells with high risks. The idea being that I could lower my rheology even further to suspend bayrite and its settling tendencies will be lower if you think about Stokes law, mm-hmm. settling velocity. And so smaller particle should settle slower and I can keep my fluid thinner. So, you know, lower ECDs, it's pretty much all the quote unquote flat rheology, low ECD muds and deep water mm. at this stage probably have a fine grind bayrite in them to complement the emulsifiers and, you know, viscosifiers and that sort of thing. And then they're using, you know, a lot of those wells are like S-curve shapes. Things we've talked about where you've got these very high risks of sag scenarios or the, the right type of well for it. And so, you know, actually the first use was in a really low ECD application, I think like the 70s or 80s, where they use basically like pigment grade bayrite to avoid it from settling out and, and you know, packing off the core barrel. That's probably, the drilling application there is probably, the you know, Almost every use case. However, a couple of other applications I've been involved in using it for, one is sand control screens and open hole completions. The big problem is you don't want drilling fluid plugging the screens while you run them in because you want to produce oil and gas through them. So sometimes what you do is actually circulate the drilling mud over the shakers for God knows how long (laughs) until it passed a certain test to show that it would filter through and it could be days. I mean, and and you're running such fine shaker screens that you can't even see the holes. You just have to change, you know, divert flow and physically take them out. So the idea of just displacing to a fluid that you knew would have the density and would, you know, the particles were too small to plug Hmm. was a benefit. And then going back to low ECDs, we had a critical cementing application years ago, and we displaced the whole well to a really thin fluid with this really fine grind bayrite. And it allowed us to get the appropriate pump rates to get a good cement job because it produced a lower ECD. So there are a few of those niche applications that come up, and that's where knowing about it makes it a worthwhile tool in the toolbox. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, to me, it just sounds like there's certain applications that have fit. It's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all application, but, like, are there any other benefits that you can think of? So I think... You can go pretty aggressive on solids control. I mean, specifically, you're talking about mechanical separation. So now I could run finer screens. The trick is finer screens wear out faster, right? Right. They require a lot more attention. So you've got to balance out what you're trying to do with what you're going to get. I'd heard of a drilling application where they ran like API 500 screens or something, Jeez. but they're like, you, you wouldn't even, you need a magnifying glass or probably a microscope to see that they're wearing out and they're going to go to, they're going to break like tea bags. I mean, that wire is just so thin. So you can be more aggressive on that front. As long as you don't need any like bridging solids or anything in your, in your fluid, it just needs to be weighted. And the other thing that you always read about, but I don't know how much people care is with acoustic tool signals because you have lower fluid rheology, you get a better signal. And so, of course, when you're bragging about a product that works really well, you're also like, oh, by the way, we got better acoustic, you know, signals. Right. And it's like, well, that's great. I just don't think I'd change up my mud 
for the purpose of doing so, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Something that kind of, I guess comes to mind, the mud engineer side of me thinks, do you have to run or are there different calculations, say on a mud report that you would use to then differentiate between the high gravity? Because obviously if it's so fine, it'll act as a low gravity solid. Would it appear on your mud check as a low gravity solid? or No, I mean, so that's, if you think about the retort, right? We basically get the average specific gravity of solids from our mud weight, right? And whatever, the, it's going by specific gravity and mass. So since the volume still weighs the same, mm. it's still going to show up. But I think, you know, what you're getting to, though, is you've got these fines with a lot of surface area. And so if you don't treat them properly, they can actually have adverse impacts on the drilling fluid. Now, you know, Bayrite's pretty inert mm-hmm. versus a lot of the things that we drill through that get really fine and create problems. But the absolute finest of the fine grind bay rights, a lot of them require, you know, utilize pretty special treatment measures mm. so that they don't have an adverse impact. Gotcha. Okay. No, that clears that up. So what about the solids control side? Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, this is where people kind of, I don't know, it gets a little tricky because folks are like, hey, this fine grind bay right, I'm going to retain more of it. So my bay right utilization is going to go down. And I think that's, sort of kind of true, but only for a very short period of time. And it's very difficult to prove one way or the other. So your shakers are your primary line of defense, right? And not only that, but they're the only things that offer a mechanical classification. Everything else is pretty much centrifugal, right? So yeah, I can go with finer shakers and that's great as long as I don't need any LCM or bridging materials or anything like, you know, as long as I'm not trying to retain anything else in the fluid, that's fine. There are limits with that because those screens get a lot more expensive and they don't last as long. And you got to watch them because if you don't, you start incorporating larger material that you didn't want in there, right? Right. So that's one thing. And then, you know, in the centrifuge, you say, oh, well, smaller particle, lower settling to velocity. Shouldn't it help retain bayrite? Well, kind of. I mean, the the problem is that no matter what, if it's 4-1, guess what? the specific gravity of my low gravity solids is still tremendously less. So it's going to throw out Bayrite before it's going to throw out a low gravity solid. Right. And so no matter what you think you're pulling off, that's just fairly difficult to nail down. And a lot of the times when you're bringing in fine grind Bayrite, it's because you have a heavy mud weight as well. So now, even though I'm looking at like maybe Bayrite recovery, well, look at it the other way with Bayrite recovery. I'm probably more likely to throw out my fine grind bayrite because I'm only keeping the the big heavy particles, right? Mm. So it cuts both ways and the economics here, it's very, very difficult to draw the line. So when folks say, oh, I'm going to retain more bayrite, I think it's true. I don't think it's demonstrably true. And, and by that, I mean in such a way that I would change my behavior because I'm saving so much money. Right. Okay. I think it's not false. It's just not true enough to be the deciding point on why you would use it. Right. So it sounds more the applications best suited from a technical perspective, not necessarily an economics perspective, which tie into the economics on the back end. But Right. I mean, the criticality of your well is going to define what you need, right? So a lot of these fluid, these, especially when you get to kind of, you know, I, I broke it up into two categories, like 
the really, really fine stuff between one and five microns, that stuff's really expensive and it has a place, but then the stuff between five and 10 is pretty expensive and it has a place, you know, those ones really set themselves apart because they fill a space that conventional Bayright doesn't provide. And there's cost to that, but there's justification relative to the risk of your well. So you're going to see this in challenging wells, probably not at the unconventional wells that we typically drill at AES. Right. So there's a, you know, within the category of fine grind barite, it actually gets finer than fine, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to get lost in terms, the terms I've heard of that they're, I think they're trying to break it down is that, you know, 15-ish or 10 to 15 microns is more like, they just call it fine. And then the 5 to 10 is ultra fine. And then micro fine is everything below that. Ah, okay. And I mean, okay, sure. I think there's, you know, the thing with calling it fine grind Bayright was, I guess the frustration that I have is it's not that much smaller. So you go from a D50 24 to a D50 15. Okay, well, that's, I mean, it sounds like a lot, right? But I guess the problem is that we know if you run PSDs all the time and you monitor your drilling fluid, you're going to end up in the 10 to 12 range pretty quick anyways. It doesn't take long. Right. And not all of that is because you stripped it out at the shakers or we would be adding Bayrite for forever, right? We know there's a fair amount of this stuff that just gets ground down by drilling processes. You add it in, it goes through a bit, it gets broken down, it comes back. You know, it's just one of those where, okay, I'm running my screens large enough that I should be retaining most of the bay right anyways. And what I see is that that's not what happens. It doesn't get stripped out of the system necessarily through mechanical processes. So it's got to be breaking down. Mm. So, and that stuff, the D5015, I don't think it's making that much of a difference because you're going to get all your fine grind bay right by just the drilling processes. But I think the reason it's so readily available is because you can use a conventional mill to get there. You don't have to have any of the specialty equipment. So you're going to see more of it, but you know, you may retain a little more Bayrite, but it depends heavily on what you think, how much extra you're paying. So I don't know if the Bayrite economics is it. Gotcha. It needs to be that, you know, and this goes back to the low ECD stuff. It's right. Those are tools in the toolbox, but show me, you know, if I drop three points on my plastic viscosity, show me how much less pump pressure that is mm. because it is nowhere near the same thing as having a plastic viscosity drop by, you know, 40 or 50 in a deep water well because of thermal variants. Right. So, you know, the thing is run your hydraulics, do some lab testing to see what is your sag risk or what are these risks you're alleviating? And then, you know, understand that like, I mean, there people are using these terms interchangeably. Fine grind Bayrite is smaller, but like, the high performance stuff, the let's call it micro fine, because I think that's the term. So the one to five microns, there's probably actually not that many wells in the world that actually need something that fine. It is really pushing the envelope. And if you do the engineering, you may find that the ultra fine, the five to 10 micron stuff probably works in most applications. So, I mean, most of it ends up being like closer to five from my experience dealing with these mills, five to seven ish, five to eight on a D50. It works great for extended reach drilling, you know, narrow window kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, it goes back to why are you using this? Let's do the engineering. Make sure we got the right tool in the toolbox. And if your risk is that high, you're probably using this with a low ECD 
you know, system. You're probably right. you're probably pairing these tools together and maximizing the benefits. Yeah. You know. So let's let's get the big picture just because I, I think I hear a lot of, you know, oh yeah, we're using this new stuff. It's pretty great. It's okay, let's just make sure we're drawing all the benefits. Right. And if you're using one, you imagine you benefit even more with another, you know, with a finer grade or right. you know, let's let's get the whole picture. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think too, and, and it maybe is me just sorry speculating, but maybe it's a supply issue as well. Maybe some folks think, oh well, you know, let's see what kind of benefits we have. And maybe it's there's some that's more readily available. Obviously things are getting tight, you know, just from logistics and freight, this, that, and the other. I don't know. Perhaps there's some out there that people are trying to get rid of because they can't use it. And all of a sudden now there's a reason to use it. Who knows? I don't know. Have you heard or do you speculate anything? Is there is there quite a bit of this stuff available or is it more of like a boutique where you have to order it specifically? Or I mean, so the stuff that's less than the, the fine, not the fi- ultra fine or micro fine. I mean, since you can get it off a conventional mill, I think it might be like an upsell technique. You know, Bayrite's a miserable product, right? Like you have to have it. It's essential. And everybody thinks it's just this, you know, abundant material that should be cost next to nothing. And everybody's focused on the cost. And the the fact is that for how hard it is to get and, you know, insurance quality and that sort of thing, you know, you you shouldn't give it away. I don't do pricing. I'm a technical guy. I just just see it on that end. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of perhaps a technique to be like, okay, well, maybe maybe we can offer something a little new and different. But without defining the technical benefits, you know, to dollars and cents with real numbers. Right. You know, I think we're, we're a little too speculative there. Sure. The finer stuff, yeah, you got to get it. Special equipment to manufacture, you know, those kinds of things. There's only pl- certain places that can do it. And even, you know, and, and we've talked about some of the other weight materials when you get into these, I don't know what you call it, high performance weight materials. Do we Dare we use such a vague description for something like this? But manganese tetroxide, the other one that escapes me right now that I don't, you know, the ilmenite, there's a fine ilmenite as well out there. And and they have a higher specific gravity and they're really fine. And it's, I mean, the physics, the concept is the same, right? But they're a tool for a job. Let's do the numbers and be honest if we're getting the value. Yep. You know? No, I like it, man. And with that said, I don't have anything else. I don't have any other questions, man. Any, I mean, you basically gave us the closing last words, but anything else pop in your mind before we let everyone go? No, I hope we're having conversations about how awesome the Astros did in the World Series next time <laughs> we listen to a podcast. Absolutely. Well, with that said, if anyone has any more questions or you know would just simply like to reach out and connect over LinkedIn, please do so. And if you got any good stories or ideas for a show or simply have any questions that you'd like to for us to create a topic about, we're always open to that. That's a lot of times where we get the best ideas from is from our listeners. And hit us up at the full and podcast at aesfluids.com. And everyone, go Astros. Hopefully when this gets released, we're all still celebrating. Take care for now. Go Astros. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.